From Sora Schools, it's Sora Learning Lab, a show where we dive into the world of learning research and innovative pedagogy. Through interviews with education researchers, advocates, and innovators, we'll explore the ideas and trends behind the future of learning. Brandon is the director of project-based learning at Khan Lab School, the famous laboratory school founded by Education and Khan Academy founder Sal Khan. His educational experience started in college at Tufts University, where he studied child development with a focus on incorporating engineering into the elementary school classroom. After getting his MA in education at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, he launched Boston Public Schools' first engineering program at the Dever McCormick K-8 School. He moved to San Diego to launch the engineering program at High Tech Elementary. Now, Brandon leads curriculum and instructional design in his current role at KLS Con Lab School. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Brandon. Yeah, thanks, Garrett. Uh, thanks so much for having me. So I like to ask everyone one opening question, then we'll jump into the meat of things. But I just want to hear a little bit about you. What's your story? What brought you to the world of education? And then what brought you to KLS, Con Lab School? Yeah, of course. Um, I, don't know, I was born in the Bay Area, um, huge Giants fan. Um, I, I think I watched like way too many Disney movies um, as a kid, like those educational Disney movies where it's like, like one person like goes to the school and like is able to speak to the students. And I'm like, yeah, I can be that person. And then like I went to college and I like learned that like you know, some of those movies are quite problematic in like the way in the roles the teachers have. The savior syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> savior syndrome. Exactly. I'm like, oh, there's like a lot of consistency between all of these stories and the ones that we choose to highlight. Um, <clears throat> but... <clears throat> Um, I did. I did went to college for education. I studied at Tufts University. Um, studied child development. Originally, I wanted to become a teacher for the deaf, and because I was studying sign language, became really ingrained in that community. I studied at Gallaudet University, which is the um, first semester, which is the college for the deaf. Um, I just became like really locked into that world about like language advocacy, language access. If you don't mind me asking, what what made you interested in that community in particular? I think there was like this notion of this connection of like language access, like learning a language and how that is like, how that's critical to the development of a culture and a community um, really resonated with me. And I thought like a lot about like my upbringing and like me learning Chinese and that being a source of how I've connected to my family and my culture and my community. Um, and like the notion of having that and having like these schools like for the deaf um, that are taught in American sign language versus like more of like an oral approach um of like teaching how to speak english um i think like that that kind of sort of that pedagogy that thinking around education um was something i wanted to be part of um but then i went to gallaudet and i thought you know this wasn't something that i as like a hearing person like i learned just like how critical schools were within the deaf community and i was like i'm always going to be an ally but it's probably not where i should be as like um, as a hearing person, but I was still really interested in like in language um, and language access. So I actually um, I went to I did this program called Boston Teacher Residency, and um, did their program for teaching English as a second language in elementary schools. And then from there, after I graduated from that program, I taught at the school called the Dever McCormick, which is a K through eight um, Spanish English dual language school in Boston in the Boston Public Schools. Um, but I kind of switched there and they were hiring for 
like a computer's role, I guess. And I was like, oh, that's so antiquated. Um, so I said to the principal, like, you don't want like this computer, like this technology job. Um, you want to like, we can think to the future. We can like rethink how we do like this, this kind of education. And I said, you want like an engineering course and you want to think about students um, as creators of technology versus as being passive users of technology. Um, what can we do in the classroom, having them build and design and make things? Um, and how can that be integrated like with science? Um, and like, that would be a much more empowering class than like, let's teach kids how to use Microsoft Word and PowerPoint and things like that. And he said, that sounds great, go for it. So, so then I launched Boston's first um, elementary school engineering program, which is really awesome. And like, I think it's so cool that like my principal and this was like a turnaround school um, was like, really want to just embrace this. And his whole notion was like, this is something that they would have in like a private school in like New England and the these kids in boston they deserve it as well um but yeah so i did that for several years and then i just kind of kept going on that route so i was in the world of like maker spaces maker um design classroom design thinking um ended up at the at high tech elementary north county and uh, so i helped with their launch i launched that engineering um, program at that school and then i did that for three years uh before i ended up at con lab school first as a consultant um, developing the project-based learning program, and then full-time as the director of experiential learning, which is sort of like project-based learning and several other things because it's a school where kind of everyone wears a lot of hats. So we relate to that, certainly. <laughs> Since I know we're going to be diving into the theme of project-based learning quite a lot in this conversation, can we start just by defining what does project-based learning, what does PBL mean in the first place? Yeah, it's kind of like everyone's favorite buzzword, right? Like we do PPL, we do project-based learning in this class. Um, and I see in like all these schools, I see in all the brochures. Um, and then I look at like, I look at the curriculum or I look at what's being done in class and I'm just so critical. I'm like, that's not project-based learning. Those are projects. <clears throat> and I think it's something that we, we've tried to, we've had to navigate as well. Um, I mean, like as we, as we build our school, like the very first thing was making sure that we as a school and our teachers were on the same definition, right? So if you ask me, you should be able to ask another teacher, ask any of our admin what a project is, ask any of the students what project-based learning is, and they should be able to tell you. Um, and that means we have a consistent model. Um, so I can go on for a really long time <laughs> um, talking about what it is. Um, for me, it's easier to define it by what it's not. And Let's do that. Let's Wise. Yeah, so I s always say project-based learning is not project-oriented learning. Um, and when we think about project-oriented learning, we're thinking about this thing that you do at the end of a project, at the end of a unit, at the end of a unit of study, and then you do this thing, and that's your project. You get to do it. Uh, I know PBL Works calls that the dessert project. It's like the dessert at the end of the unit. You've done the work, so congratulations. Um, and the example I always give, and if any of my families are listening or any of my like any other KLS staff are listening, they're gonna like, be really tired. This probably like skip ahead, press like fast forward right now because I always give this example, but it's because it's a good example. Um, at any Californian who any student who's um, person who went to elementary school in California in a public school knows that in fourth grade you study missions 
and you study it for like several months and it's always in like around like February, March or something like that. You go to your field trip to visit one of the missions because there's like 20 of them in California. So there's one really close to wherever you are. And then at the end, you make a mission diorama and you make it out of sugar cubes or like popsicle sticks or you go to Michael's at this time and all the Michael's will be carrying mission, build your own mission kits. And then somehow you get a grade on this mission. And like after 11 years in education, I have still no idea how you accurately assess a diorama. Um, I have no idea how you assess like learning or what learning objectives are tied to a diorama. Um, but then that's it, right? You learned missions, congratulations. And then now you get to make this thing, which doesn't actually connect to any of the learning and doesn't connect to anything really about like, what's the most important thing about the missions? It's not the architecture. I mean, like, it's cool. There's things we can learn there, but there's a lot, like, much more interesting stuff happening in that history, right? And that's, that's like, project-oriented learning, right? And that's when we think of projects and we say we're doing projects or what projects are you doing in class. That's the way we think about it. So in project-based learning, the main thing, and there's, like, so many, like, little checklists and nuances about what project-based learning is, but the one thing I really care about, I want to make sure when we plan our projects at school, is that the project is leading the learning. So it's not happening at the end, it's, this, it's established at the beginning, and your completion of this project is dependent on the work that you're doing throughout it, and the things that you're going to learn, things you're going to study, things you're going to research, and all that's going to apply, be applied to complete this project. Um, so that's the main thing. The main thing is that is an application of knowledge to do this, right? An application of knowledge to complete the project. Um, but we, and we could talk forever about little nuances, you know, like um, PBL Works has their seven gold standards of PBL. You know, we use many of those and we have some of our own. Um, um, you know, we, our projects, we like them to be interdisciplinary. So we like to think that projects um, are a good place for work to not we don't want work to like exist on islands where your ELA classes here, your math classes here, science classes here. The really cool projects are the ones that integrate those. Where learning the ELA helps you understand the math. Where learning the math helps you understand the science. Where doing the science helps you become a better artist, right? Um, all these things interwoven together. So that's like one thing, for example. And these are kind of like when we're these are the little nuances. Um, but the big thing is. Does the project that they're doing, does it matter? Is it a poll? Does it lead the learning versus the other way around? Wonderful. And what is the role of lecture-based instruction or, you know, all these other methods for, for transmitting information? What is that role in a project-led experience? Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's an awesome question. And I think when most people like to hang out with me, they like, um, when talking about education, they think like I'm this like really progressive educator and um, whatever progressive educator means and they have an idea of what the classroom my like looks like. Um, and they're probably right on some level, but at the same time, uh, sometimes when we like think about progressive education, it becomes like, you know, throw the baby with the bathwater, right? Um, and I love a good lecture. I think a, a lecture is a sometimes awesome. I think if you're doing them too much, that's when there's a problem. Um, and I would much rather see them use less than more. Um, 
but like at the end of the day, like some of the like, you know, when I'm listening to podcasts on the way from work and I am like absorbing this, I'm listening to this, I'm loving every moment of it. That's I'm doing nothing but listening to lecture. Um, but I think that the question is like less when we think about like that kind of pedagogy of like using a lecture, it's more the question is more about like, you know, what's like the role of the teacher? right within within the classroom structure um because the problem with the lecture was when you're doing it too much you are establishing yourself as a teacher at the center of this classroom as like the carrier of knowledge as um the one you know who knows all and then the job for the students is to absorb all the information that you know um and then somehow like regurgitate it back so then it, just, it completely takes away the students from from the learning process takes away any kind of agency that they have in their process so you know with project-based learning it's kind of hard to do because project-based learning is based around student agency um and students have to have control and voice and choice and they have to be able to lead the project in some way um for them to like care about the work um so i but if you have that structure and also like hey you're doing this like lecture here about you know this medieval architecture or whatever in service of this greater project then yeah sure that's great that's fine um i'm not a purist in any way i think for for most educational pedagogies there's not a single thing I think you can like bring up that's like I'm gonna say yeah 100% of the time you need to do that um and if you think or like and you being like the world you right um think that there's any one pedagogy that you should be doing 100% of the time I would love to challenge you on it right like um whether that's in, in ELA whether that's in math you know if you're like I only do Singapore math like like really like a hundred percent of the time or like, always yeah. <laughs> yeah like we only use pbis pbis and i think pbis is great but like a hundred percent like we only use restorative practices hundred percent though so same thing with like lecturing and project-based learning like we're all in on project-based learning but yeah like a hundred percent like lecturing all the time so let's take the models that work let's take the let's take the um the structures the pedagogies the what have you that work and let's find the find the combination that best serves our students and then your students at that particular time in this particular year. Right. I completely agree. And that's one of our talking points as well. People always try to categorize us. They try to put us in a bucket and they say, you're a progressive school. And we go, I, I, I mean, if you have to call us something, but I prefer to think of us as a, we're a good school, <laughs> right? We, we survey <laughs> all the different types uh, of learning and all the pedagogies out there. And we apply the tool to the problem, right? It just so happens that we think, this very sage on a stage, top-down lecture-based model is antiquated, not usually fit mm -hmm. for purpose, but there are still times it is. But the Sora perspective on this would be the most important aspect, the thing underlying whatever method you choose is buy-in. Getting students to see the relevance and actually opt into that experience is, like you said with the podcast, if you were told if you were threatened to listen to that podcast and you have to listen to it on your way home from work, you would hate it and you probably wouldn't retain much. But the fact that you chose to listen to someone talk in your car for 30 minutes and you love it because you're the one choosing to do that, right? No, that's really cool. So would you, would you, um, so what role at SARS does like the lecture have? We use it sparingly in most ways, but in the humanities, it fits very well. So in the humanities, we have lots of Socratic discussions, but it's very helpful, um, even in addition to the pre-work that we have, we call our homework pre-work, so pre-reading, essentially. Um, it is still helpful to norm people with three to ten minute 
converse or, or lectures in the beginning of sessions or as um, segues to new topics of discussion. It's when done well, it's it, it's great. In STEM, sometimes a demonstration or sometimes uh, a lecture is needed to fit the concepts together before you do that synthesizing activity of a project or whatever. So like we're not purists, but we just believe that project led experiences and especially I love that you said the interdisciplinary integrated curriculum. That is so, so important. And if you do those two things well, I think there's a lot more nuance that, that you can use um, for the actual pedagogy or method of instruction. Yeah, for sure. How do you, how do you guys find that balance between, because you brought up like voice and choice and student buy-in. How do you balance that buy-in, that student agency, and you know, there are certain things that we need to make sure that students are learning and we need to hold you accountable to that. And we, as a, like, as educators need to make sure that you're learning X, Y, and Z throughout this project. This is another place where I think many progressive schools get it wrong as a category. They, they've taken 180 degrees of oh, this standardized nature and standardized concepts. And they reacted against that and say, we're not going to ensure any sort of breadth or depth. We're just going to allow students to, you know, need fulfillment, whatever, follow their interests, self-directed learning. I think that's, we think that's, I'll speak on Sora's behalf. <laughs> that's kind of intellectually lazy for schools and administration. If students aren't grappling with things like the Holocaust or FOIL in mathematics, right, that's probably a failure. There is still a floor of things we should expect students to do. However, we need to increase the scope of what we consider important. So it's the basics aren't just standards, the, the concepts you'd expect students to, to learn. Yes, those are important, but let's talk about the 21st century skills. Let's talk about, as we call them at SOAR, abilities or competencies. Let's talk about the central role those play and how we can, contrary to what most schools preach, you actually can measure the progression of those for, for students. That sort of answer your question? Totally. Go on another. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, we can totally flip this and like you know, I can ask you some more questions because I actually you know, I would just love to hear more about the school and more about what you're all doing. But we, we can we can riff forever. We can make this more conversational for sure. But was that sort of the answer to your question, or do you? Yeah. You could do a response, and we could just keep going. <laughs> just, that was awesome. That, I mean, I would. Uh, yeah, I just love to hear more. Actually, I mean, because I totally agree. Um, I think, and people expect I, uh, from pro- like the word progressive education, progressive school, is. Um, sort of is like a lack of rigor, I guess. Um, And I think that sort of comes from the fact that schools have become so standardized and so intense and the pressure on kids has been mounting that we just want to like go all the way back and like rethink education um, completely. Um, But like, you know, it's not like the things that we've been doing, everything that's been happening for the past like 500 years, thousand years. whatever it is, um, is wrong, but, um, the focus has been in the wrong place as you're saying. So, um, I mean, I like me a good standard. I think common core standards are great. I think that's like, um, those are a great place to start and like a good measure of, you know, my student at the end of fourth grade should be able to do this in math. And that is a good metric. And I should feel comfortable knowing that when they, if they were to go to another school, that they've hit these standards and they'll be able to transition to that school well. Um, but the way that we go about teaching that, the role that the student has in that learning process, I think those are like the questions um, and, and how to like make sure that students best um, achieve those. I think those are like the questions that are interesting to me. I love that. I love that. 
Maybe maybe out with the bathwater, as you said, is descriptive of many progressive schools. You're, you reminded me, Peter Hutton, the former CEO of Beaver Country Day School, wonderful progressive educator, although he never uses the word progressive because he says that people think the word progressive equals shoes optional. That's the definition in people's brains, <laughs> not this whole tradition of, of you know, you know, intellectual <laughs> movement. It means shoes optional. <laughs> Yeah. Is Beaver Country Day School, so is this in Oregon? I think it's in New England. I'm pretty sure. Because if it's in Oregon, that kind of checks out. Yeah. I think they're in, I think they're in Boston or at least nearby. I, I've never visited, though. <laughs> so switching gears a little bit, before the phone, before this conversation, uh, you mentioned something that you are not a huge fan of when people talk about self-directed projects and letting students scope and define their whole project. So you seem to think there's an important role that teachers or curriculum plays in this process. So I, that, that's all I heard before. So I just want to take a little bit of time to hear your full thoughts about this. I'm very intrigued. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's something that surprises a lot of people when they talk to me. Um, I And I think it's, you know, I think I, I'm like the director of experiential learning and I help our teachers implement project-based learning. And that's like my main, my prominent role at the school. And I do that because I think project-based learning is incredibly powerful pedagogy. I think it's an incredibly useful way to teach. I think the data is there to show that in certain contexts, um, that it is better for student learning, that they retain knowledge, um, that they have more buy-in and like all these things. It's more fun for teachers. Um, and it engages them with the community. There's a lot more um, 21st century skills or you know, social emotional skills, all those things, executive skill functioning that builds into it. So I believe in all that, right? Um, and then a lot of people, I think, believe that project-based learning um, is, okay, it's so like, let's have students like plan their own project, right? Like let's have them work on this thing. A student wants to, um, do a deep dive into paper airplanes and let's give them time to do that. And that's what project-based learning is supposed to be, right? That's, that's the, the idea. Um, and I'm not a huge fan of as much of that as, as far as like thinking as like PBL. Um, and I know some people call it like genius hour or try time or something like that. Um, but I think the power of PBL is that is like is very dependent on the teacher um and the teacher as like a director within that space so yeah i spend a lot of time with our teachers planning out their projects before they launch like we're thinking about the whole scope and sequence we're thinking about what are the standards what are the metrics what are the skills what is the, everything that we want to make sure our students are learning let's make sure that throughout our project we have ways of assessing that um we're making sure that the project outcome itself whatever they're making actually assesses um all these skills that we want them to build on so talk going back to like the diorama like we would never come up with that, right? Because like, I don't think a diorama could really assess the important knowledge from from learning about um, missions. Um, and then, and then the teacher, like, once you set all that up, right? Then we can. That's where a lot of the work happens. And then we can step back a little bit because then we can let the students like lead the inquiry a little bit more. Then we can have them take the project where it goes but we're still have to come in there you know you know maybe there's a lecture here and there maybe like we're we're structuring these activities maybe we gotta like we gotta find ways to lead them we gotta support them them 
doing the research. We got to teach them how to work together in groups. Like, right. Like we're still an active participant in this process. Um, it's just not us at the front saying this lecturing and then you built this thing, right? It's just the flip on that. Um, and then, so my problem with, um, those like these like individually run student projects is they are really hard to do. <laughs> and I know this because like, I've been asked to be in a role where it's like, Hey, like run this like genius hour time with the students, um, where they, it'll be really easy, Brandon. They can do whatever they want for an hour every single day and you don't have to worry about it. Um, and it never ends up like that because it like, when you think about like, doing a project it is so much work like i think about like eagle scouts and how it takes like all this time like this entire like the entire eagle scout like boy scout to eagle scout transition is like it sets you up to do this one project to give you all the skills to lead a single project right because it's a lot it's it's so much um executive skill functioning um there's like so much research that happens in it and um, and we try, I think when we try to do that at like, uh, at an elementary school level, um, or like a middle school level, um, a lot of things get lost. And so what I've noticed that is that then students, like I brought the paper airplane thing up just because that was, you know, what a kid want to do. I want to do deep dive into paper airplanes. And then it's like, you're making paper airplanes for, you know, um, an hour a day for like five days a week for three weeks. Um, but as a project, if you like, you know, you want to do an aerodynamics project and you wanted to structure ground paper airplanes, or if you wanted to build like a giant fluke tog and like throw it off of the roof of your school, I think there are ways you can do that, but it takes a lot of planning on the, the teacher end. So that's kind of like, that's my rant on, on those student led projects, I guess. No, it's great. It's great. I think people, especially in, well, I won't name names, but people in Silicon Valley, especially in the progressive education world, I think they severely underestimate the difficulty of creating really good curriculum or the skill set that it takes, especially for educators to, to become master teachers in this respect. And so they, there have been some schools, I will not say, but there have been some schools that say, oh, we think a teacher can create a playlist in 20 <laughs> minutes, a personalized playlist for a student in 20 minutes, a really great curriculum project, right? It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this creating great curriculum, and even if we're going more traditional route, even writing good test questions, even multiple choice test questions, which is a little outside the realm, uh, kind of what we do at Sora, it's so, so, so hard. It's an art and a science. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I was guilty of this, certainly, in my earlier education journeys. <laughs> <laughs> Until someone is a teacher, um, I don't think they realize how much work goes into being a teacher. Right. It's it's insane. Um, I will add the caveat that this year um, we started doing, um, with our high school students, we started doing um, what we're calling advanced credit, um, advanced mastery credit, where students can more can pitch like a project that they want to do. And this was dedicated about a hundred hours to this project um, over the course of the term and they would get credit for it. Um, and, but this is like, and this, this has been awesome. And it's like so cool seeing like what the students come up with, like, you know, one student wants to like write a business plan and start, you know, a bakery and like be, you know, um, have like, have positive growth by like this time like there's a whole plan right um or like we have some students who a student who's like really into biology and um wants to find out like what's like the most um the grossest thing inside their house so they're 
um, you know, um, growing things on petri dishes and then creating like a computer model that takes that and like converts it into into like data and stuff, right? So these are when we give students like the free time to do like explore things they want really cool ideas come up right so it also is important to do this um at the high school level this is particularly work because like they have much more of these these executive skills to be able to navigate this um and they and even with that like we have to go through um we go through a planning process with them where they have to scope out their project um what's it going to look like where their main um deliverables um what are um what are the main barriers they're going to run into who they're going to look to for supports and help and feedback and things like that um and then we have like a four-part like approval process <laughs> um that signed off and then you can like go ahead and then you can work on it right so so that's just you know i don't want like i don't want to seem like oh man like students can't do any kind of like project on their own um and students can't have any like kind of autonomy over their own kind of learning. Um, it's not that, it's just that when we think about like totally run like student-led inquiry, um, like um, it's a lot harder at the younger level than I think most people think. Um, and it also happens, I mean, like it happens through like play and happens like, it happens like normally all the time, but to give like too much unstructured time for it, um, I think is, is difficult. That's so true. I think, Alec Resnick from Powderhouse Studios and his plan was particularly helpful for me in thinking about this, where I, I fell into what I now call, I guess, smart kid syndrome. So I guess that's sort of complimenting myself unnecessarily, but I, I fell into this idea that kids have these, and I guess Zach Stein would call it cognitive maturity fallacy, but the idea that people come preloaded with all this executive functioning skills and software to run their own processes independently and self-directed learning. And that is just so untrue. It is so untrue. These are difficult cognitive milestones that people reach after much struggle and practice. And so our goal should be to get people to that point, to your, to your point. Our goal should be high school, almost as a graduation requirement, to get people to do these big project, be able to be more self-directed learner scope things. But you can't just plop a kid in that environment after being, you know, adult directed their entire lives and expect them to excel. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. And that's why when we, when we, when I plan projects with teachers, um, one thing we're thinking about deliberately is student agency, is student voice and choice. Um, that is a metric for project-based learning. They have to have it, but it looks different in different age levels, right? And so one thing I always say, and this isn't like my quote, but voice and choice doesn't mean anarchy. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> So in kindergarten or like our school's IL-1, you know, what voice and choice and student agency looks like is one thing. What that looks like in fifth grade, IL-3, that's, uh, that's another thing. What it looks like in high school is a totally different thing. So we want to be deliberate about that. We want to be deliberate about where, um, where we give uh, students that, that autonomy, that agency, um, and then how. But we, we do need to make sure we do that, and we, like, want to grow it, right? Like, this is – as we do, as students have more years of PBL and this is the way that they're taught, then they, then they develop these skills. Then they develop the executive functioning to do this. But we just got to, we got structured along the way, um, just like we would structure anything else. We just, like you would structure the math, make sure they can do this so they can go to the next grade, so they go on the next thing, so they can do this, so they can do algebra, so they can do, you know, trig, so they can do pre-calc. In the same way, here's like base level executive functioning we want to make sure they're at. Here's the next thing. 
here's the next thing. Let's make sure we embed that into, into our project work. Um, make sure we're putting the onus on the students in this um, and develop that deliberately. Wonderful. Love that. So my last question for you is that if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about, let's say, traditional public schools in the U.S., what would that one thing be? Where would you spend your political gravitas? <laughs> All right. If there was one thing, I think it would be all the red tape that comes with hiring. Or maybe just like all the red tape. I don't know if it's just all the red tape. There's, there's a lot of red tape. Um, and I'm sure some of the red tape is good. Um, but one of the, you know, I've been in public schools and I've been, I've worked for charter schools and I've um, now am an independent school. So I see, I've seen everything. I've seen the benefits. I've seen the drawbacks of each of these systems. Um, and I think like one, like the one thing that's really stood out to me um, about being an independent school and being a charter school too, um, which doesn't, uh, I think for hiring has, um, um, also it doesn't have the red tape. It's just like how much easier it is to hire quality people. Um, how much easier is hire like for the jobs that you want? Um, and how much easier is an applicant also to just apply? Like, um, if anyone here is like listening is not a teacher, um, go to EdJoin and try to apply for a job. <laughs> and like, and, and uh, I don't know if you like should actually apply, but like, um, but if you do, <laughs> um, I mean, just to like, give people a sense, like go to EdJoin, find a job in your district. Um, half those jobs aren't real, first of all, uh, because they're, they exist. Like some of those are, they have to be put up for, um, to hire people into other roles, right? So you have like teacher on special assignment, things like that. So you have to put them up or you're moving a teacher to like another position. So you have to rehire. Then you have things like um, the, the decisions that have already been made, but you have to put it up. Um, and then there's just like these random gaps that are filled. So no one's actually hired like through these websites, which is like the craziest thing. Um, and um, and then, and then after that, so like, then people like, you have to go like hiring fairs, right? That's where like actual hiring happens. So you have to be present at these things. Um, and it's just, it's just crazy and it's a mess. And you need like three letters of rec, which is like, in what other industry do you need three right. letters of recommendation <laughs> to get to like, like, I want to work as like a software engineer and I need like three bosses to give recommendations. Like, no, I'm going to prove that I can do this thing. <laughs> And like, you're going to hire me because I can do this service. So um, that's, I, I think like the whole, like, and it's like, I guess it's part of like a larger system that I think drives people away from public education. Because um, like people go into public education because they want to like teach kids, but it is like, it is impossibly hard <laughs> to get a job in public education. And there's a shortage. It's like the weirdest thing, which I don't understand. And I'm like, I'm not at the top level in like, and a school district, so I can't see everything. I just like, I just know it's a bit of a mess. Um, so someone needs to clean up that whole system, um, which I'm not sure how that's gonna happen, when it'll happen, but um, I'm not sure what the solution is. I know some people are like, yeah, charter everything or like, you know, privatize everything. I don't, like, I honestly don't know how you address when like a school district is like the size of LA County, for example, or like New York City public schools. It's just so huge. Um, so yeah, so the red tape, hiring, administrative hiring red tape. Awesome. Well, food for thought. Hopefully one of the listeners of this episode <laughs> took that to heart and they're going to solve it for you, Brandon. Don't worry. <laughs> 
Perfect. Done. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a pleasure to get to chat with you. Thanks, Garrett. Really appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sora's Learning Lab. Check out our other episodes for more thoughtful conversations with experts on learning, pedagogy, and more.